Ben, how are you? I am okay. Oh, only okay? Well, I am, uh, it, it's late at night here in the Midwest, and I am uh, up at my father's office, uh, so we can hopefully avoid the, the brutal Skype problems that we have had the last several episodes. No more clapping on three? <laughs> yes, something like that. Uh, or if we do clap on three, hopefully it'll be in sync. Yeah, that's right. People seem, people seem to enjoy that. I, I, I only remember last week thinking, oh my gosh, you're in the 21st century and we can't seem to get this to work. Well, actually, this, it's a good reminder um, because uh, the reason, so the way, the way we usually record is we have a Skype track that's the baseline and we each record our own mics. Mm. And then uh, Marco Arment made this nice little utility that basically it's a command line utility and it auto aligns everything using the Skype track. Mm. So, so our two mic tracks, which only record you know, our individual voices, are then perfectly aligned and then we have nice clean audio that's that's aligned um the but obviously with skype not working we didn't have we didn't have a baseline track so we had like so it yeah it was it was it was a whole mess but the reason i'm glad you mentioned it is because uh the only thing marco asked is that uh, in exchange for using it uh that we just mentioned uh he's got a new podcast app which he does um which i a lot of the my listeners have probably heard about but it's uh, overcast it's available overcast.fm uh, I was a beta tester, so I've been using it for a few months now. It's really great. Uh, I'm definitely a fan. The I never used playlists before, but the playlist functionality in this app is amazing. Huh. Um, like basically, like you can set all these conditions, and just your playlists are always in the right order. Um, and then it also does the sound boost thing, which is um, sound boost and like smart speed, which is great because uh, if you're, you know, it, it basically instead of speeding up a track where people sound weird, it it takes out gaps within the track That's which is really useful if you're listening to me because i always tend to pause too much um he hasn't yet added a like button where you can take <laughs> out all the likes and the ups, but uh I'm on that, so i well most of your listeners might have heard of it but i hadn't so i'm, I'm probably going to check it out so he's got one more he's got one more potential customer yes that's so, really cool no definitely check it out and and thanks to him for uh like just in general uh I know he's helped out quite a few people, um, you know, that do podcasts and he's helped us out a lot. So thanks, Marco. Yes, definitely. Um, but yeah, speaking of uh, uh, being generally annoyed at Twitter, uh, which is Uh-oh. where. Uh-oh. Here we go. Testy monk, Ben. Here, here we go. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I actually I want I want to I want to talk to you about this. Uh, and there's two angles I want to talk about. So I posted something basically. Like there was kind of a side conversation I was having with our mutual friend Horace, mm. uh, Horace Deju, and you know, kind of made he was snarking about you know f- Apple being a commodity product and all these other tech companies, you know, their monopoly, so Apple's worth. You know, he, he was just like being like the annoying, annoying analyst. Um, you know, he's more more a joke than anything. And and I replied something to the effect of, "Well, it's kind of funny because actually, you know, Apple is arguably more monopoly than anyone," and and because they have a monopoly on iOS. And this this really, really bothered like a lot of people. Like I got a ton of replies and actually I'm still getting replies. It's like a, a week old tweet. Um, <laughs> basically like people taking me to task for not knowing what a monopoly is. Um, yeah. For, first off, first off, this, this like this, something that I found that has served me very well uh, 
in general is just like assume people are smart. Like I know what a monopoly is. Like I I, I appreciate people's efforts to educate, and I'm sure it's well meaning. <laughs> um, but I do know what a monopoly is. Uh, and even that. <laughs> so so in so, in one respect, uh, I was making a little bit of a joke because the way we traditionally think of a monopoly, like Microsoft or mm. Standard Oil or whatever, um, yeah, it's not a monopoly like that. But but if you actually do take the strict definition of monopoly, I would argue that it's true. Apple does have a monopoly on iOS. And a lot of the response are like, well, that's like saying, you know, like Ford has a monopoly on Ford cars. And I don't know. That was... Right. Yeah, no. So clearly they're very different because like in infrastructure, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because it does sort of force you to think about what it is that you're claiming a monopoly over. So it's, it would be equally true to say Microsoft has a monopoly on Windows. And that, that became a big issue when Windows was 95% desktop operating system. Like it had 95% market share. That, that was like a monopoly in the sense that you're talking about it, but also a monopoly in the more traditional sense where there really weren't more options. I think it, does it doesn't that have to do with like what you're trying to do? And you start to get into monopoly territory when there are things you're trying to do with the device that you can only do with one device. Like you, you have a monopoly over being able to do certain things. Like a, a, a producer has a monopoly over being able to do certain things with a consumer. And when you can't choose to go somewhere else, that's when it's almost like there's, there's this locking because there are no reasonable alternatives. What? No, that's true. Well, you just said a lot of stuff. So let me, yeah. let's, let's, let's go through a couple of that. So I think what the response of like my critics to you would be, no, Microsoft doesn't have a monopoly on Windows. They have a monopoly on PCs. And, and that was, and so that was the problem. And they'd say Apple doesn't have a monopoly because they only have 15% of the market of smartphones. And, you know, if anyone has a monopoly, it's, it's Android, which, Actually, today is just you know the EU is opening up like an investigation. Um, so a few th- a few things. Number one, okay, before we go anywhere, ha- yeah. having and I think this refers to what you just said. Huh. Having a monopoly is not a crime. Um, right. There's nothing wrong, legally wrong with having a monopoly. What is illegal is using a monopoly position to win an adjacent market. So basically, the problem with for Microsoft was. Uh, they used the because they had a monopoly on PCs by bundling, and this is like the magic word um, by bundling. And like actually, when you're at Microsoft, you use like bundling in an email, like you get mentioned offline. Yeah, you might want to might not want to use that word. Um, <laughs> uh, by bundling Internet Explorer with Windows, um, the court ruled that they were leveraging their Windows monopoly to win. In browsers, because then I was there for free. Why was it there for free? It wasn't there for free because the customer downloaded. It was there for free because the customer bought a PC with Windows. Why did they buy a PC with Windows? Because they had no choice. It was the only. It was the only option available to them. So that was that was the crime was leveraging their monopoly to to get another product. And they had the same thing in the EU, not just with browsers, browsers, but also with music players, with Windows Media Player. Mm. But it, so you've said it's not illegal. Well, it may or may not be illegal depending on how they 
play it. But it is a bad thing, right? Like that's the reason Standard Oil got broken up. That's the reason AT&T got broken up. From a societal perspective, it's not a good thing for there to be monopoly. Well, not, not again, not, not, again, not, not necessarily. It's, okay. it's bad if you use, it's bad if you leverage, if you use monopoly power. I mean, again, you could argue, well, any business, if they're going to, you know. But yeah, monopoly is going to use the monopoly power. Right. But if, if you're, if you're selling, you know, oil at, at, at a market price, that's not a problem. It's if you're selling it not at a market price and the reason you're able to get away with that because there is no viable competition then you're abusing your monopoly power but there is a distinction in the law between right. having a monopoly and and using monopoly power so are we talking so this i think this is a valuable distinction are we talking legally or are we talking economically because if we're talking economically the market price is determined by whatever the monopolist decides to do right Yes. Yeah. Well, let's keep it economically because neither of us are lawyers. Um, yeah. So yes, if you talk about smartphones, no, of course Apple doesn't have a monopoly. Um, that's a silly statement. But if you're talking about iOS, like, and and to me, iOS is is not just a a. It's not just like cap, you know how many pixels are in a camera. Oh, this this phone has is eight megapixels. This phone is thirteen megapixels. This phone is four inches. This phone is four by five inches. This phone is iOS. This phone is Android. Like, whoa! To me, like now, that's a completely different sort of thing. It's not a feature. It is an entire sort of ecosystem because it's the operating system. It's all of Apple's apps. It's Apple services. It's all the apps in the App Store. It's all the hardware that works with iPhones. It's all it's the M5 program. It's all the cases that fit on iPhones. It it's it's the status that comes with having or that that comes with iOS. If you want if you want iOS, well, can you buy i can you buy a device that has iOS from Samsung? Can you buy it from LG? Of course not. You can only buy it from Apple. But so isn't this another way of saying what we were talking about last week? So we were talking about Microsoft in terms of like it being one of few companies that successfully pulled off a vertical and a horizontal strategy simultaneously. When you say that Apple has a monopoly on iOS devices, is, is what you're saying, is that just another way of restating that it has executed successfully on a vertical strategy? You know, for sure. I mean, I, and I think, I, I guess, yeah. I mean, I'm not trying actually trying to make any broad, broad sort of like takeaway from this. I think it just... It's interesting if you take this particular view, if you can kind of separate iOS from the iPhone. And I think it's very legitimate to say that some people might want access to iOS. They don't actually care about the hardware. In fact, there are a lot of people that would prefer a larger screen. But my wife, for example, my wife detests the size of the iPhone, drives her up the wall. She's insanely jealous of all her friends who have these huge phones. But she does not buy, she does not buy a large screen phone. Why? Because the apps are crappier, and like she, there's certain apps that she wants that are only available on iOS, and so she buys an iPhone from right. Apple. And she doesn't buy a phone from LG. Doesn't buy a phone from Samsung. Why? Because those don't run iOS. Like to her, for her, from her perspective, there is no alternative. I mean, that's Apple successfully pulling off its strategy. Like, okay, we can develop iOS because people are buying the hardware. 
people are buying the hardware to pay us effectively subsidizing the development of it to like give it away is like oh we're going to be <laughs> we're going to be in trouble in terms of being able to continue to afford to develop it right and so what no exactly and well not just that but they can, they can charge a, a significant margin like the the great i there's so many people out there and so many analysts who like who know a lot and they understand economics, they do all those things, and they consistently get Apple wrong, and they consistently are just waiting for Apple's margins to collapse. And there's no way Apple can sustain this. And you know, it's they're just counting the days. And that's where all this doom saying comes from. Like, there's there's two bare arguments for Apple. One is that like growth is gonna is gonna slow, and I've been arguing that for a long time. That indeed has happened. But the other, there are people out there that, that think Apple is going to collapse, and they're going to collapse because they're so freaking expensive. And what they're missing is that Apple can command huge margins because for many of their customers, there is no alternative. Mm. Do you think there are there? So do you think that the number of customers for which there is no alternative is growing, shrinking or staying the same? Well, that's what's interesting. I mean, I talked to, uh, I was on John Gruber's podcast a few weeks ago and we we kind of, we kind of talked about like the key this point, but we were talking about it in terms of differentiation, right? right. Um, and so we're I'm saying the same thing. I'm just using different terminology. I'll get to why I'm doing that in a second. But yeah, so it's differentiation. But what's interesting is people stay with Apple, I think, because of the operating systems and the ecosystems. But the reason people come to Apple is usually because of the hardware, mm. um, and or the status or all that sort of stuff. And so it's almost like it works in conjunction. Like they pull people in on one side and they keep them keep them on the other. So I would argue that it's growing. It will continue to grow. Just it will probably grow much more slowly because there's not, all that low-hanging fruit's gone. Right now, you're getting people who are buying their second smartphone and give Apple a try. And that and you you see it like Apple's loyalty rates are like 87% or something. And the next closest is Samsung, like 61%. Um and and so you're, as that plays out over time, you know, the, the share must increase. Right. And that's interesting. So this goes back to the way I like to think about this is whether it makes sense to be integrated or modular, right? And that varies over time based on where you are in the product category lifecycle. And at the beginning of that, when performance is absolutely not good enough, it makes most sense to be integrated because you have most control over all the different components. As time goes by, like the modular players can see how the integrated player has put everything together and they can start to copy it and pull it all apart and focus on their own little And at least, at least the theory would suggest that the, the modular players start to catch up. And that was the reason why I asked the question, because it, it might be the case that the difference between iOS and Android is starting to narrow. And I, I would actually say that's true. Like Android now compared to where Android was um, leaps and bounds. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like your wife. I will just stick with my iOS device. I'm happy. But lots of, there are a few people, I won't say lot, but, and this is purely anecdotally, but there are a few people I know who are just like, you know what? This Apple locking thing is starting to drive me nuts. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff I wish I could do with my phone that Apple won't let me. I think I'm going to try an Android device. It's possible. Um, I, 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 I haven't used, uh, it's been a while since I've used Android. So I actually have a phone on order that should be com coming any day now. Mm. I got one of the, uh, 
uh, one of our listeners actually um, sent me and thank you very much. Sent me an invite for the one plus one, um, that that kind of new phone out, out of China. Um, it has like top of line hardware, but super low price. Um, you know, they, I've heard great things about them, so I'm excited to try it. Oh. Um, anyhow, but but jumping back to Apple, well, the, I think this is actually super pertinent to the to the integrated versus modular discussion. I mean, I we've we've talked a couple times about the the piece I wrote last fall, like arguing that I think that the case that's made there, because I, what's the argument there? The argument is not just that the modular, well, there's two things. One, that the mo- modular solution in some respects ex- ends up exceeding the integrated solution because yeah. the various layers through competition like improve at a faster pace. Uh, the rate of improvement is faster. And so eventually, even though it starts behind, it will pass. But number two, it's cheaper because prices are driven down at, e- at, at each layer. And at some point, the integrated solution for it's only a little bit better, if better at all, and it's way more expensive. And so people abandoned it for the, the, the modular solution. That's, that's exactly it. And I mean, there are, there are things that work against it. So application locking, right? You buy the application on one one um, ecosystem and obviously you have to go back and repurchase everything again on another ecosystem and that introduces switching costs but by and large yes that's exactly that's exactly the mechanism by which it works just what you've described there right and and my argument then and one i still believe is that i think i think apple and the iphone specifically is more impervious to that than you know i think most adherents to that theory suggest and why why do you think that? I'm like that. This gets to the heart of the argument. Why do you think it's more impervious? Well, I think it's because of it, it's what I'm saying. It's because of iOS and and what iOS has uh, has a user experience uh, advantage. I think most people still, you know, admit that's the case. Um, it has an application advantage, not 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 in numbers, but in quality of application. Uh, I think particularly in the non-game categories, uh, it has the the whatever it means to own an Apple device, um, the, the the brand, the the status, that sort of thing, and it has the whole sort of like physical ecosystem. Um, you know, whether it comes to cases, whether it comes to accessories, whether it comes to all the sorts of stuff, it's easy to own an iPhone, um, and I think that sort of stuff in a category that big picture isn't that expensive you're not paying that much more um to get all this sort of stuff uh i think protects it um in a way that just hardware differentiation absolutely would not yeah i i I do think though that those like on all those fronts android is i mean i and, and the way that I think about this, and to be fair, in the same way, I love how you do mea culpas around like when you say things and they haven't happened yet, I'm going to do the same. I've been harping on this for a while, but I think about whether I get excited about the next iPhone device and what it is they could introduce. And I remember back to the original iPhone and I wanted them to improve everything. I have a 5S now, and really my only complaint is the battery life. Like, if they released a new phone and all it did was last three days on a single charge, I'd be happy. And then I'd be running out of things for them to improve on. It's like, okay, 
you're going to have to improve along some axes of performance that I don't understand yet because there's not that much more that I want this device to do, at least that I'm able to articulate. Sure, but that's that may extend your replacement cycle, but why but when you buy the next device, uh why wouldn't are you going to really start buying based on price? No, I'm I'm probably not, but like there's a spectrum of users out there. And oh, for sure, for sure. And I'm not denying that. And I'm not saying that the iPhone will ever have majority status. My my point has always been that in the consumer market in particular, there is a segment that that values these less tangible or less tangible things like a luxury good. Like there's there's a reason there's a luxury segment of the of the car market. There's a, reason there's a luxury segment of the furniture market. There's a reason a luxury segment of of every market. It's because people are willing to pay for that. And and if you take an item that's with you all the time, you're interacting with all the time, and is seen with you all the time, why would we not expect people to value the brand, to value the experience, to value all these sorts of things, even more so than they do in other things? No, I, I agree with that. I would say I would say on on one count though is that when when they run out of things to improve, like when the things to improve become less obvious, like the ability to increase performance, to improve the experience, like is relatively limited. And, and just to, I'm just going to put it in provocative language, but it becomes easier for the modular players to copy the integrated player because the integrated player runs out of places to go. The other thing I would say is with electronic devices, yes, there is a degree of status, but it's also it also relates to underlying performance. Like it, you buy a you buy a um, a sports car, like an expensive luxury car. Like part of the purchase is predicated on underlying performance. Now, if if you're paying for a Porsche, but there's a car that's not as expensive that can outperform it, I mean they can only get away with that for so long before the underlying reason for the purchase starts to call into question the the um, the the status element of it, right? So performance still does factor in, and that's where that's where I think the modular players potentially could have an edge in terms of like they're all focusing on their little piece, and the underlying performance continues to increase. Um, and it's like, okay, well, you're buying this. I mean, who buys? Who goes and buys a Virtu phone? And the reason nobody does is because the underlying performance is shit, right? I um, think you're, but I think you're stuck on the car thing. Like I, I was just okay. on vacation a couple weeks ago with my with my wife, um, and we and you know one of the things we were gonna buy and is her birthday and she got a she got a handbag and the handbag was cost significantly more than an iPhone, right. um, <laughs> uh, and th- the performance of the bag, believe me, is actually inferior to to lots of bags. Right. Oh no, I I understand and. I totally get the luxury good argument, um, but the rationale for buying the bag is more, it's, it's more like a piece of fashion. And the question that, that, that basically there's tension between what we're saying here is like how much of buying a phone is fashion versus how much of it is functionality. Now I accept it's neither entirely one nor the other. And the question is the split. And if the modular players move too far away on the performance side, my argument becomes the and I'm not saying the iPhone's likely to end up like the Virtu, but the Virtu is a good extreme example illustrating the point I'm trying to make, where as a fashion accessory, fantastic. But as a piece of technology, the underlying performance is sucky. Not, and that's part of the reason why basically nobody buys them. 
Well, part of the problem here is is I think by pretty, you know, yeah, mostly acclaimed, the iPhone is still considered to be the best performing phone. Correct. Um, it's you know it's got the best processor. It has the best camera, depending on how you measure it. It has you know the best user experience. And so I'm projecting think, out here. I'm like I'm not saying it's the case right now. And your points are all completely right. Well, anyway, there's there's no reason to think that's ever going to be there. It, um, and then the second point is. Um, even if everything, let's say we're both completely right, uh, I certainly cast into a fascinating light all of Apple's recent hires, which are all very focused on fashion. Mm. Like they're not, they're not dumb, uh, and they're they're hiring the CEO of Burberry, they're hiring the CEO of Yves Saint Laurent. They're hiring a sales dude from from LVMH we talked about before. Right. Um, they're you know they have the the Beats guys, which I mean it's not a w traditional luxury brand, but it certainly is a high status sort of brand. Um, so they're yeah they're moving into this area that is I th I think pretty impervious to to the theory, and this has been my argument for the theories where I think the theory falls short is I think it. It over indexes on things that can be measured yeah. and doesn't take enough into account um, the things that can't be and where the things that can't be measured really resonate is in the consumer market. Yeah. I, and I mean, point, point well made and well taken. My only pushback would be is that fundamentally we're buying technology. And yes, the status is nice and the status probably enables Apple to get more of a margin than they otherwise could get. But if, if, if they, if, if, People start to think in Cupertino that they're in the business of selling handbags and not in the business of selling the most sophisticated technology in the world, then there's going to be a problem. No, certainly. It's, certainly, it's absolutely something to keep an, keep an eye on. But I, I, I think you're, you're arguing with a, um, with, with a straw man because the, the reality is, is, is there's no indication of the iPhone slipping in performance. And not slipping. So, and that's where the, the starting point of this thesis came from is that I'm not saying they're intentionally slipping. I'm saying that modular players in the long run and not, it's, it, and there, there, there's like any of these theories are helpful for illustrating a scenario. It doesn't necessarily mean that with 100% certainty, this is what's going to happen. But when you look at it through the integrated versus modular lens, the modular players do like, if, and if lit it up and they focus on their own little piece and they know how all the pieces fit together and they just drive down price and focus on getting those pieces faster, and better than an integrated player is able to perform. There's a case to be made that potentially the integrated, the, the modular players could catch up to the integrated players or the integrated player and in terms of performance surpass it. And then the question becomes, okay, if that is to be true, is it just enough that you have a luxury experience, a luxury experience around the brand? Is that then enough defense? But the, I'm not sure. But the problem is the areas, the areas where they might theoretically exceed, um, I think we both agree are areas that customers are most likely not to not care about. You know, a phone can only be so fast. A camera can well, maybe a camera. Well, oh. yeah, a camera could probably be so good. There's a user. I, I I really believe there's a user experience advantage that comes from being integrated, from all smoothing over all the rough edges, from all the parts working perfectly together. And it's really it's like impossible to measure, but it's meaningful. And I I question whether a modular solution can actually ever 
overcome that. Yeah. And so now it's, a user experience can never be too good. Uh, it, yes. So that, that's an interesting question. Can it ever be too good? Pro- you're right. It probably can't. Um, the question is how that relates to price and like whether people are willing to pay the marginal, the difference in price to get the better user experience. Um, and, and playing this out as a hypothetical, I mean, I guess it remains to be seen. I think it's interesting thinking this through and thinking about whether the modular players will catch up to the integrated player. That being said, history as a guide, um, Microsoft was a long way behind Apple in terms of Windows versus Mac OS. And I remember the old Apple ads where uh, they'd poke fun at Microsoft's <laughs> Microsoft's interface, like there was a, there was one where they did a congratulations dot W95 or something like that to welcome uh, Microsoft into the world of more than eight character file names. That being said, in the end, the, even though the user experience was arguably better on the Mac, Windows surpassed it. Um, whether that, that's going to be repeated here, I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying it will, but it's interesting to think about it. Well, it's interesting to think about what the differences are too, because the thing is a Windows computer was superior on like basically every other metric. Right. Um, you know, it like people like to talk about the the, the blue screen of, of death, like at least Windows had like protected memory. Like, I mean, it, 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 it was like the Mac, the OS, the Mac OS was so behind and the hardware was so, was so inferior um yeah. that yes that experience didn't didn't matter so i think i think we're probably saying mostly the same thing as long as all the other stuff stays you know in, in the same ballpark um then there's at least the potential that there is a nebulous hard to measure user experience advantage that will that will prove to matter right and that's why i'm still using my ios device along with tweetbot i friggin love tweetbot and that's why your wife does too even though she wants that bigger screen on a samsung galaxy phone the Samsung Note. She oh, wants the, the Note. The really big one. Wow. Um, Why well, doesn't so she it, buy it, an it, iPad it, Mini? <laughs> well, it's not a phone. <laughs> well, but there, there's one more point I want to make okay. just to bring this all the way back full circle. Um, you know, all this sort of stuff. What uh, the point I was trying to make on Twitter is is this: there, there's lots of benefits that are tied into um, not the some. It's interesting. I think we really kind of destroyed the the argument because. Lots of the fashion stuff, I think, in particular, probably accrues to to it being Apple and an iPhone. But there's some of the user experience stuff, and that stuff accrues, I think, to iOS. And the point being, if you want iOS, if you want iOS apps, if you want all the parts of iOS specifically, you need to buy an iPhone. And that is a type of monopoly, um, you know, it, it, I mean, I don't know. It, in my opinion, it just is. And, and I think the, the the other point, I'm curious to get your take on this, is I find personally, um, I just found it so fascinating. And you have to tell me if I'm being like stuck up about this. I found it so fascinating how uh, there just seemed to be a, a lot of people that just refused to accept the possibility that what I was saying made made sense. Yeah. You know, I, so what I thought when, so I, I, I love interesting and provocative ways of framing ideas or framing statements or, or framing an argument. And I feel like when I saw you write about that, that's what I thought about. I was like, wow, that's a really interesting way of thinking about it. My suspicion as to what may be happening, and I'm sure I'm going to get Twitter feedback around this if I'm not right, is that it's, this relates perhaps to something 
that you warned me about early on. And that is like, if you're going to criticize either explicitly or implicitly, if you're going to criticize Apple, you need to be very careful because, um, I mean, A, there are a lot of, you know, and, and you've referred to them as well, like these analysts who just refuse to accept the reality of, of Apple's margins. And they're always looking for a way to bash Apple. But you, you risk getting lumped in with them. And there is a big crowd of people who are used to seeing that criticism and who love Apple stuff and who are willing to come to ride to Apple's defense pretty quickly. And some of those folks have been doing it for a while. And I'm sure at one point or another, they were on the side of the argument where it was like Microsoft is a, is a monopoly and it's, it's hurting Apple's ability to continue to make these products that all these people love. And to even hear a hint of that argument used against a company and a, and a set of products that people are so passionate about, m- maybe the rational side of people's minds kind of like, kind of went on a little bit of a wander and it's like, what are you talking about? There's no way that's the case. That, that's- oh, interesting. I, uh, that, 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 that didn't even occur to me. I, I just more, um, and so they're just like, no, you know, we don't even, even want to go there, um, which, is, which is reasonable. I mean, because in... And that's that's the point. I mean, any in any traditional, the way people traditionally think about monopoly, Apple's not a monopoly because the way you, you would think about it is in the context of smartphones. Mm. Uh, they're not a monopoly. And I was just saying, well, what if you thought about it in the context of of iOS specifically? And I and I, I I do I do I do also enjoy. I think to your point, like, and and I don't want to like just to come across the wrong way, but like if you kind of let your mind play around with definitions and kind yeah. of use words in the wrong way, in the non-traditional way, I actually think it's a very useful way of generating insights. And I, and, and this is where I, I don't want to come across the way. Cause I, I want to, I want to say, I wish folks would like let their, let themselves be a little more flexible, um, you know, and let themselves play around with language now and not be so like, no, that's not what a monopoly means. Um, but then again, I don't want to. I, I almost feel like saying that that sounds condescending, and like I'm being, you know, which I, I not at all want want to be. So I, I almost hesitate yeah. to even. I mean, even that's true. It. But like, this is one of these things that we talked about previously. That the the very notion of a monopoly might need to change because the environment the the environment in which we live is so different from the environment in in which people's traditional conceptions of monopolies existed. Like it used to be that a monopolist, the way a monopolist held power was through its ability to control supply and therefore affect price. But we, that was back in an, in an era of scarcity. And now we're moving into this era of abundance where there are, there are so many articles, so many books, so much media, so much stuff that actually the power the power rests in their hands. Like this was the argument from that episode. The power rests in the hands of those that help people to find it. And so, I, I don't know. I I feel like playing around with this term, playing around with this idea, playing around with the idea that perhaps we need to be thinking about things slightly differently. I think that's a good thing. Um, and and I think I also think it's a good thing to always be self-aware and make sure you're not coming across as potentially condescending but i don't i don't think you did like there's nothing about the way that i saw you talk about this i it felt to me like this was an interesting exploration of a topic rather than anything else well that's good i I think we um (laughs) we either just blew everyone's mind or just totally confused everyone completely 
Um, <laughs> but, because of bringing in that conversation, which was also a kind of a mind twister when it comes. I to love that. that. Yeah, that, that, that was a good one. I agree. That came up again um, recently, actually. I, I mean, and that, I don't know if we want to go down this rabbit hole, but OkCupid was experimenting on their user base, telling them that there were people were matches even when they weren't. Like, wow. I was, in terms of like, a perfect example of how we're giving up so much power um, to companies in terms of the way we think about things and and how how they're able the information they present ends up changing our view of the world so dramatically. You're going on a date with someone that you thought was a, a big match, but it turns out in reality, at least if you believe their algorithms weren't like. I, I was just like, this is such a perfect example of what it is that we're handing over to companies. That being, I, it, it surprised me quite a bit. So I, I get the impression you do not approve. I don't, I, no. I mean, I, I feel like this is as much, as so much of our world shifts to digital, so many of our interactions shift to digital. This is like the first instance of, really rather like this is the first instance of human experimentation that will actually change people's behaviors like it, 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 something about that really like people weren't notified they didn't get a chance to opt in they're relying on this site in part because the site says you know what we we have this special algorithm that will help find people that you're compatible with and then Without user knowledge, they go and do the opposite just just to see what would happen. Now, from from the scientist in me thinks, oh wow, that's kind of cool as an experiment. But the reason there are all these rules around human experimentation is because these are people's lives, right? And and you're you're effectively tricking them around something that I don't know. People I I, I think reasonably expect not to be tricked about. Yeah, no, I mean, so do, did you do you feel different about the OkCupid one than you do the Facebook one, or do you kind of view them in, in the same category? Well, so so just just in case anyone's not aware, yeah. the Facebook Facebook experimented with a number of positive and negative words in a person's feed, and then looked at their future posts if they were more positive or negative. Um, there were so um, there was a very small relationship. Um, and whereas OkCupid took some segment of users and it has like a, a compatibility score and it took a percentage and said who were not compatible at all, but told them they were compatible and then kind of saw that they were successful. Yeah. So just in case anyone is not aware of, of the, of what's happening. Yeah. And I think that's useful context. I think, um, both, both feel uncomfortable, but I would draw a line between what Facebook did, which is, which is like, okay, we, we're interested to see, um, like, we, we're tweaking our algorithm. Like, no, there's no, there's no implicit contract between the user and Facebook around the type of news that will get shown on a wall. But when you sign up for a dating site, for example, there and you say part of the reason you sign up is because we're going to find people that are compatible with you based on our proprietary stuff. And then you turn around and you and you say, for shits and giggles, we're actually going to match you up with people that are completely incompatible just to see what's going to happen. It feels like outright, um, outright deception. So I'm uncomfortable with what Facebook did, but I think what OkCupid did is just outright wrong. It's a slippery slope, though. It sure is. I mean, and but I, what I what I find so fascinating is like we are we are going to 
run into these problems so much more because we are handing so much more control of our lives from where it used to once be like, you know, you'd get set up on a date or something. Now it's a case of you trust a, com- you trust a company that's developed an algorithm to decide. And what's so interesting about these two examples is how much of an impact that decision can make. And it, it also relates back to that conversation we had around Amazon, like they get in a commercial fight with a book publisher and then they deprioritize the book results. Like so much of what we see and how we live our lives and an increasing amount is going to be decided by these companies and they can have, there are, can be any number of, um, any number of uh, incentives or motivations for the results they actually show you, whether it's dating or books or whatever. And we have, I mean, typically you'd expect it to be commercial motivations. And hopefully in the long run, you'd hope that those commercial motivations will mean that they align with their users' interests. But in both of these instances, they're great examples of where they don't. And it really, like, it worries me that people aren't, well, I mean, the OkCupid one got a lot of publicity. But I, I feel like this is a topic that needs a lot more conversation. So what? So we talk about a slippery slope between Facebook and OkCupid. Mm. Um, what's the difference between what Facebook did and like you know A/B testing, which every single site on on the net does? So, um, good question. Like, I, I mean, it's it, it. I guess it has to do. So I. So just to be clear, my argument around my argument was both make me feel uncomfortable but only one was wrong because like the okay yep, no, totally. yeah but well i'll get to the next question and then yeah. you can answer them both together okay. is is if there's a if there's a gradient um where on one side is is a b testing like what's going to make someone quick more mm. or or convert more or put something in their shopping basket or or put in their credit card details and on the like, which is even there, I just actually listed a bunch of examples, right. all of which are more on a gradient, right? Because yes. you're moving from from clicking to actually like getting money from people right. to Facebook, which is kind of working your emotions somewhat to OkCupid, okay, which is like an actual date you're going on. Like, wh- do you see this being on a gradient? And if so, where is the line? And how how do you it, it, like? Is it all wrong? I, I, I don't think it's all wrong. I think so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come at it with a philosophical answer, which may be difficult to enforce legally, but, but I, I, at least this is the way I think about it. It has to do with motivations. It has to do with the reasons why and whether the reasons why they're doing it are, are like a regular person would consider reasonable. Now, if you're designing a commercial website so that people click more or buy more, I, I think most people would be okay with the idea that A-B testing around that happens. They acknowledge it. It's just, it's just like a company trying to sell more stuff and they're going to figure out ways of doing it. Most people expect it. When you start getting into the realm of the motivation is to see what the emotional impact is of users and we're not going to inform them that we're doing it. Somehow, like we're... we're we're stepping away from this is just commercial intent. So this feels more like human experimentation. And it. Well, well, I mean, Facebook wants people to look at ads. And if presumably people are in a better mood, they'll be react more favorably to the ad. Yeah, bill. maybe. So if the, the. So it, again, it depends on the motivation. And at least 
the way it was described, the way I read about it, it wasn't, this wasn't a test to see whether people would um, change their ad clicking behavior. Like it wasn't positioned like, can we create news that results in people more likely to click ads? It was, can we change people's um, news feeds and as a result, change their emotions based on the type of content they subsequently post? Like that was the dependent variable. And that feels to me really kind of uncomfortable. Okay, so do we need a court where mm. James educates based on his feelings? No, of, yeah, I, I mean, I, I do be clear. I'm being devil's advocate. Yeah, here, yeah, I, totally. I, I, I mean, I think what we talked about last time, and I think this is right, is that as this increasingly becomes the case, as we, I mean, if you. I, I thought about writing about this, actually. And, you know, we all make crack these ridiculous jokes about how people in North Korea have no idea what's going on. And anyone who's visited China and interacted with locals in Beijing asks about, you know, Tiananmen Square. And it, like in, in the West, we kind of, you know, puff our chests out and say, you know what, these people are so backward. These things happened and they're hidden. The, 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 the notion that these things even happened are hidden from site because the governments of these respective countries decide that the people don't need to know about it, therefore hide it. Now, what's interesting to me is that we are putting ourselves as a society in a very similar position here by letting commercial entities, like there's so much abundance of content and these commercial entities whose, um, whose whose customers, quote unquote, who they look to serve are actually advertisers, um, they are getting to determine what it is we see and what it is we don't. And I, I worry that it's, it's a, and just by, the, by nature, by virtue of the nature of technology and how, uh, how pervasive it's becoming in our society, what we get to see when we log on to Facebook and we log on to Twitter or we log on to Google, and let's be honest, for an increasing number of people, that's our window on the world. Like that is not just being influenced on what it is we want to see, but it's being influenced by, by what advertisers want us to see. And, and, and there's, a, there's this commercial interest at work. I mean, and in traditional media, they got around, like the way they dealt with it was to put... Um, Chinese walls up between um, between the content side and the business side, and those walls don't exist in this new world. And it worries me that, in the same way that a person in China doesn't know about Tiananmen because someone's decided that it's not in their interest to know about it, it worries me that we end up we we run the risk of of undermining the nature of the internet by virtue of the way that advertising is slowly taking the advertising business model is slowly starting to win this fight in terms of like what we see on the internet. And in the same way that like what we, what people see in China is determined by the government. I worry that what we see on the internet is going to start to be determined by what advertisers want us to see. So any solutions? I don't know. I mean, so one is, I mean, this is part of the reason why I like Apple products because Apple products are like interests are aligned, right? Like they create iMessage. I know they're not trying to make money out of selling what I'm writing um, to advertisers. So that's, that's one potential thing, like vote with your wallet. The other one, I think, I think, I don't, 
I don't believe that um, we're going to end up in a place where governments are regulating algorithms. What I do think we should be heading in the direction, though, of is more transparency around like what's going into my Facebook feed and let me control it and help me understand what's 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 happening. So if you're filtering certain things out, I want to know about it. I, I don't know, like the, the one around Amazon really bugs me because dropping book publishers, dropping a certain book publisher's book rankings because they're in a, a price war, that's like the modern equivalent of burning books. Like you're hiding ideas for a reason. It, 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 yeah, it just really, it really bugs me. I'm not, I'm not, I think the comparison might be uh, a little overwrought, um, although I, uh... Uh, I appreciate your, I appreciate the sentiment. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I almost feel like I almost feel bad about this because I feel like I have just almost like a certain fatalism mm -hmm. about it. Like, it <laughs> transparency is nice. I mean, but what 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 does that mean? Does that mean the government's going to force? Facebook to show its algorithm is gonna is gonna show force Amazon to show show its algorithm. I mean, um, that that brings a whole heap of a whole heap of separate issues that you know do do we want to go there? Um, and just in general, I mean, like I I've written you know the, I mean the, the thing with advertising it's not just that it's not just that advertising is in some senses an easier business model than earning people's like dollars. But for some things like Facebook in particular, like Facebook wouldn't be the couldn't be Facebook were it not free. Uh, like that, there's way too many people out there that I want to connect with that everyone wants to connect with that would be unwilling to pay for the service. Like it has to be advertising support. Well, maybe so, I mean so I pay you, for my phone you, service, and you want to connect with like there is a history of. There are no ad-supported phone services, right? No, but the, but the nature of that's not that's not what Facebook is. Facebook is 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 the is the network. It's the it's the connections between people. It's not connect connecting is something you can do, but Facebook is all about the, all the connections you have and the connections you share and and your quote unquote social graph. And you couldn't really build that if you ha if you had to pay for it. And so it's not like something like, yes, when it comes to a device or when it comes to some sorts of service, you can buy your way into privacy, which, by the way, does that mean we're going to have like strata based on like income on who's who has privacy and who doesn't? A whole other question. But there are some services like Facebook and Google, too, that they wouldn't be nearly the service they were and they wouldn't be have all the utility that they have were they not free. Right. I, I, I agree. I'm I completely agree and i'm i'm grateful that these services exist what i'm worried about is we end up in you know what what got me started on this and we should link to this in the podcast notes there was a guy that was working at valve software and he started tweeting about why he's he's quitting vr and he's like sick of it and he's he's not sick of it he's worried about it he doesn't like it and he wrote about how he's He's worried. He, he, the reason he quit, like one of the main reasons he quit is when Facebook um, acquired Oculus Rift. And his, his rationale was, was something that I, I, I mean, I found very principled and very, very thought provoking. His rationale was um, we're creating these incredibly 
um, incredibly immersive environments, but it's increasingly looking like the case that that because they're so immersive and they're so com- that, that 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 the idea that a company that whose interests aren't aligned with their users ends up um, um, purchasing this technology and controlling what these users see. Like that's not the kind. I hope I'm para, I hope I'm paraphrasing this argument correctly, but that's not the kind of world he wants to live in. And I was like, you know what? He's absolutely right. The, and we, we've come up against this in the past previously, right? Like subliminal advertising is banned for a reason. You know, it was very effective in terms of getting people to buy popcorn, but it was getting users to do things in in a way that it 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 it, it just I, I feel like there's some risk that we're repeating this, like the amount of power we're handing to these algorithms allow companies to do a version of subliminal advertising in terms of their ability to control what you see. And something inside of me is deeply worried about it. <laughs> and the fatalist in me is like, like realistically, what, what can be done? Well, I, I, so I tell you what, let's, let's spin this round. I applaud OkCupid for owning up to the fact they did this because... There you go. They were very transparent. Yeah, they were. And I, I, I'm not sure I like the idea that they did it, but I am really, I am, I think it's awesome that they, A, shared the results of it and B, just told people that it happened in general because I think we need more of this discussion. I'm not, I'm, as always the case, I'm not going to claim I have all the answers, but I do feel like this is a topic that we really need to be talking about because it's inc- like these, are, th- these networks, this technology, it's becoming our window out onto the world. And w- the, the experiences of using some of them, the experience of using Google is so, and Facebook and whatever, it's so, like, it's fantastic, right? But sometimes as part of it, we're not seeing all the decisions that are going in behind it. And I think at least airing this and having this discussion and thinking about these issues as a, as a group, as a society, we should be talking about it and figuring out the balance we want to strike, whether we just, whether we, we end up more on the fatalist side, which I, I understand it's, it's going to be hard to fix this. It's going to be a super hard problem to solve. Um, or whether we we find some other way, or we or, or or users start pressuring companies to add more transparency, or allow users to control, or there's some kind of there's some kind of um, set of principles that are, these big companies adhere to. In like we will we will start to separate the commercial and the editorial. So Amazon's like we won't affect search rankings based on our relationships with publishers. That's something that I would love to see them do, for example. I, I, I see there's no reason that a company in Amazon's position should be affecting the search results of publishers' books based on something like a commercial dispute that's happening between those two companies. Do you want the red pill or the blue pill? <laughs> I, I love that movie. I mean, just, it, it, the, the, I mean, the fatalistic part is not just because um, I don't have the will to want to fix it. It's that I'm a, you know, I, I, I'm a big believer. I write a lot about the role of incentives and, and it's just hard to see there being the right sort of incentives for this to even be made possible to be fixed. Yeah. Um, so we've got to fix the, that though, right? 
Well, I, I guess so. I mean, the, the, well, the other, the other, if you want to be really fatalistic and really tied into the matrix, um, you know, being in one of those pods is pretty comfortable. Oh, Jesus. Don't, don't say that. You're, you're going to be cypher. You're going to be like, just give me the steak and make me a famous no, actor. Uh, no, not, not, I mean, now if I were really condescending and elitist, not for me, <laughs> for all those other people. Oh, wow. That sounds like Agent Smith now, Ben. You're really scaring me. <laughs> your time is, your time is past. It's our time now. Well, okay. I want that note. Um, Presumably, Agent Smith could have fixed our Skype problem. Yeah, I know. Um, or maybe he's the one that's interfering with it. Maybe it's a glitch in the Matrix. Well, you know, yeah, well, maybe, well, maybe this, this, this is a lesson to take away. You know, in the Matrix, they had to get to a landline. And uh, maybe uh, maybe that we're trying to tell us something. We, we, need, to, we need to base our base all of our podcasts on the good old television. <laughs> there we go. This has been fun. Thank you so much. Sounds good. I'll talk to you next week. All right. See you, mate.